Attention please, attention please, dedicated educators of Two Dope Nation. As this school year gets underway, now is the perfect time to take control of your financial future. We understand that being an educator requires an incredible amount of time and effort during the school year. So now is the best time to prioritize your finances before the school year gets completely out of hand. Am I right? So I want to introduce you to a trusted financial advisor who specializes in working with educators like us. Meet Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors. Alex provides educators with planning for our most important financial milestones. He has a deep understanding of the important strategies related to teachers in our retirement, the school pension system, and retirement programs specifically for us. Imagine heading into this upcoming school year and the years to come with confidence, knowing that your finances are in order. By taking time now to work with Alex, you can lay a solid foundation for your financial goals and secure a brighter future. Don't let the busyness of the school year hold you back from achieving your financial dreams. Visit Alex's website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash tudope, spell out, to schedule an initial virtual consultation. And here's the best part. Mention the discount code 2DOPE during your first consultation to receive a 25% discount on their subscription-based financial planning packages. Take this opportunity to invest in your financial well-being before the school year kicks into high gear. Click the link in the description section of the podcast for more information about Alex and Cetera Investors. Remember, your financial success is just as important as your student's success. Let's start the school year on the right financial foot. Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRASIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC. California Insurance License Number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra, CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203, Monrovia, California, 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306. Did this solve the problem? Maybe this solved the problem. I hope it solved the problem. Oh, I think it solved the problem. Nation, y'all doing? Y'all chilling? I'm chilling because it's like 25 degrees out right now. It's 80 earlier in the week, and now it's like snowy, and it's still snowing. And I'm just not ready for this, but that's okay. Welcome back to Two Dope Teachers and a Mike. My name is Gerardo Munoz. 
Uh, Kevin is in class, uh, which which we'll talk about in a future episode. It's very exciting for Kevin moving into building leadership. Um, if you are new to the show, make sure that you know that you can always follow us on social media at Two Dope Teachers on Instagram and Twitter. Um, we're also on Facebook.com slash Two Dope Teachers and, and a mic with all of the hyphens involved. Our email address is Two Dope Teachers at gmail.com. And if you want to support independent BIPOC produced media, you can support us um, patreon.com slash two dope teachers. Uh, shout out to our patrons who stay true, who stay with us, who continue to support this work even when it is inconsistent. Um, I'm here today, uh, got an episode for you that goes way back to the spring, and I want to talk a little bit about why it's like this. So, Without getting into too much of it, go over to my Substack if you want to um, read a little bit more about this. Um, I will be putting a piece up to sort of talk about how these systems aren't built for our mental health, and um, particularly in in a system like the one that I work in in education. Um, but what you need to know uh, is that this episode is long overdue so far overdue you know how when you have a library book that's so overdue that they just charge you for it and they're like you know what it's just yours just keep it and give us a little bit of money for it i kind of feel like um my guest would have been fully um it would have been fully reasonable for him to be like bro just don't even like put it out it's fine it's fine i'm not mad at you um but those of you who know me well know that in the in the summer my mental health kind of cratered um had something of, of an identity reckoning, and I'm still working through it. Like I think, I think that this is not something that is ever finished, um, but I think it's important to sort of recognize uh, the points that require us to show up differently, uh, whether it's for ourselves, whether it's for our families, whether it's for our communities. So, got a lot of thinking to do on, around that, but um, but it's a lot to say that. Um, this episode was supposed to come out during um, Asian American, Pacific Islander, Native Hawaiian, South Asian Heritage Month, um, which was in May, which was a long time ago. You know, the, the, the first thing is that like many of you who have been following us on Two Dope Teachers and a Mic for a while... I have ambivalence about Heritage and Awareness Months. Um, I think it's great that we have, on some level, however superficial in some cases, and it's not the same in every case, but on some level, we have decided that we need to acknowledge um, difference. Uh, folks who have traditionally been locked out of our uh, national view uh, folks who have been barred from entering the mainstream when it comes to history culture politics um, just humanity and so I think it's kind of cool um, on the other hand this comes up almost every heritage month where we'll sort of do some stuff I did a bunch of stuff at work for uh, Latine Heritage Month um, and it was cool. People got excited, and then we just kind of moved on. And um, and it's like, 
the world around us, the society around us is just not built to actually celebrate all people all year round. It's it's wild, but it's true. So I always have a choice every year, which is do I play into what short attention span driven capitalism wants me to play into? Hey, it's May. Talk about AAPI folks. And of course, over the course of this um of this series, I learned that AAPI still is not inclusive. Um as I learned from some guests that you will also hear interviews um, from soon, I hope. Um, and so knowing that people's you know, attention span might sort of be on this a little bit when we're in May or when we're in June for Pride or when we are in September, October, November is coming, it's right around the corner. Um, when ostensibly will uplift indigenous communities, but just for that month, right? Because people look at you weird if you start doing this stuff outside of the lane that's been defined on your um, on your iPhone calendar, right? Or do I seize an opportunity and shine light on folks who don't get to be in the light very often? And I tend to lean towards the latter. Like, I think it's just kind of like, it's kind of like we don't tell these stories enough. And even if we tell these stories a little bit, it's more than zero, which is such a low bar. Um, there's also uh, an element where it's just hard to plan ahead. And, and you know, I, I say this with all earnest and not trying to gaslight anyone, but you know, if I was able to pr to just produce um, the great content here at Two Dope Productions, um, if I if that was my job, um, it would be much easier to map things out and just kind of be ready when the time comes. Too often, I find myself doing this work within the few weeks that we may have, and then life happens and it makes it really difficult. So maybe it's just a little bit like that, but. What I do regret is that in a time when our short attention span society, we're maybe paying closer attention to folks in the AANHSAPI community that I didn't platform stories like the one I'm about to bring you. Um, there are other stories that got recorded and captured. People shared their experiences, both painful and lighthearted and just real about identity struggles in education um and i didn't platform those at a time when maybe the most ears were receptive to these stories there are also three other teachers i just never interviewed like they set time aside they processed it they tried to you know find the best way to tell the story and then ultimately i just didn't give them a way to tell the story so i do have a lot of regrets around this um but i think what i've landed on is that a light story is better than no story and maybe it will be beneficial for us to start actually trying to see folks from marginalized and minoritized communities uh, especially among our teaching core um outside of the month that we've carved out for them as a society that someone's carved out for them as a society so i think i think that's kind of where i am right now and i welcome your feedback um you know, I have one more interview from um, May that I want to roll out 
um, because I just think it's a valuable um, interview to hear. Because here's the thing, y'all. Just because we stop paying attention to Asian American, Pacific Islander, Native Hawaiian, South Asian folks doesn't mean that they stop existing. It's not like it's not like Netflix where we just pause it and then we turn off the TV and when we come back the following May, there they are again and and it just rolls. Like I'm a Chicano every day of my life and uh, whether it's Hispanic Heritage Month, whether it's Cinco de Mayo. I'm a Chicano before those times, during those times, and after those times, and, and, and I want to extend the same realness to our people. So um, will we do a big campaign um, going forward? Maybe. Um, it has to do with capacity, but one commitment I have is just to make sure that we're telling these stories all the time and not just when capitalism tells us to. So it is with incredible excitement um, I'm even smiling as I think about this, that I bring you uh, my guy, John, um, who I call Sunshine. Um, so John Arthur uh, is the 2021 Utah Teacher of the Year, one of the Four Corners Teachers of the Year that I'm friends with. Shout out Alisa, shout out Sarah, um, and then me and John. Uh, we have a funny picture of the four of us that maybe I'll include with this episode um, at Space Camp, of all things. There's so much about my Teacher of the Year year that I just haven't really <laughs> reflected on and shared. Some of it's just kind of funny, including Space Camp. Um, I call John Sunshine because, first of all, he, he brightens any room that he walks into. And second, he just reminds me so much of Ronnie Bass from Remember, Remember the Titans. He's the guy that if you're like, hey, man, um, I feel bad about X, Y, and Z. And he's like, it's cool, man. It's cool. He's got those vibes. Uh, John not only was 2021 Col uh, Colorado, that's me, uh, 2021 Utah Teacher of the Year, he was a finalist for National Teacher of the Year along with Maureen, uh, Alejandro, and Juliana. Um, Juliana ultimately was selected to represent us, um, which was perfect. Um, but I know that John made it difficult um, in the selection process because he's just such a wonderful uh, ray of light. Um, John identifies as Korean-American. Um, he's of mixed nationality and mixed ethnicity, um, but he is a proud Korean-American person. Uh, over the last couple of years especially, you may have seen him in a bunch of different social media spaces, especially um, advocating for the dignity of teachers through his work around teacher salaries and teacher compensation and valuing teachers. He's also advocated strongly for students from minoritized and marginalized communities as well as their parents. Um, particularly standing up for kids whose stories are just not reflected, kids of color, kids from the LGBTQIA plus community, um, kids who are neurodivergent. Um, John advocates for all of them. Uh, John is also this just lovely human that whenever I need a smile, like I try to reach out to him and he always makes time. Uh, you may remember him from back in May. Um, he guest hosted our episode with 2022 Hawaii Teacher of the Year, Whitney Aragaki, who is also a national finalist for 22. And um, it was just a great conversation. So um, there's going to be a little bit of rust and a little bit of dust on this episode, a little bit rusty dusty. Um, but I just ask you to listen to what he says, particularly in terms of his own life experiences, as well as his thoughts around um, disaggregating AAPI and HSA data 
uh, so that we have a better sense of what our Asian neighbors are facing and all the complexity and all the diversity. Um, so please sit back, enjoy this conversation between me and John Arthur on Two Dope Teachers and a mic. Hey, yo, what's going on, Two Dope Nation? Welcome back to Two Dope Teachers and a Mike. My name is Gerardo Munoz, and I am flying solo with you today because, as it turns out, Kevin has a job that he is at currently. Um, thanks for joining us. If you are listening to the show for the first time ever, where you been at? It's been seven years. We've been out here for seven years. And we just don't know why you're just joining us. But if we are, if you are, we are so happy to have you. Um, you can follow us on social media at Two Dope Teachers on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Two Dope Teachers and a mic. And if you really believe in supporting black and brown produced digital media out here in these podcast streets, head over to patreon.com slash Two Dope Teachers uh, where you can help this content get out there for as little as $5 a month. At the $15 a month level, you get a sticker um, that marks you as an official member of the Two Dope Nation designed by youth street artist Sham out here in Colorado. Well, folks, I am really excited. This has been a long time coming, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, been a long time we've coming. tried to make this happen a couple of times. We have. We've tried to make this happen, and then other things happen. But, folks, I just want to take a second and just acknowledge the presence of my guy, my homeboy, the guy who lights up my life. And so that's why I call him Sunshine, 2021 <laughs> Utah Teacher of the Year and National Teacher of the Year finalist, John Arthur. John, what's good? Gerardo, I'm living my dream, man. I can't believe I'm finally a guest on this illustrious program. It's amazing. <laughs> illustrious is is a good name. So, someone called us notorious the other day. I'm like, wait, what? Notorious? What do we do? Like, how are we known you like known, that? man. I have to tell you that, you know, so we've done in-person uh, interviews and we've done virtual interviews. You might be the first virtual interview that is in our actual time zone. <laughs> Let's go, right? We're yeah. near Utah, Colorado. Yeah, and do you ever feel do you ever feel erased or ignored by the? So this is happening at seven o'clock Eastern, Central, and Pacific time. Mm -hmm. Where is where's the mountain time zone, mm -hmm. y'all? Where's the mountain yeah, time? No, we're we're that middle child. It's we like, are. You know, they'll they'll just adapt to whatever the East Coast or the West Coast needs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's hundred percent, and I think um, definitely, and and it really works poorly with my gen x identity where i already feel neglected and invisible <laughs> and so now i'm here and now you won't even acknowledge the timeline that i live on um i want to name that i am working in um the on the top floor of the district admin building where i work 
you can kind of see the buildings oh, wow. out there. Ah, oh, look at that. Uh, it's a pretty cool view. This is the 14er. This is a famous 14er. Um, and so every now and then there's like some drama down there. And uh, <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah, I'm um, on the top floor of Metal Arc Elementary. And, uh, and yeah. from here, I, I can watch the playground and I'll see something going down. It's on the other side of the playground. It's like, oh, my yeah. gosh, do I run down there? And then... <laughs> book it across the playground to try and is it are there any adults See, this is, oh, man this so is why you were a national this is why you were a national finalist and i wasn't like i'd be like uh, i can't get there that's too far oh well <laughs> hopefully somebody's on duty <laughs> i didn't say i make it every time but I, I i will i will think about it yeah but it's uh, you think about it oh okay all right mm -hmm. all right no i, like, I, I need... go i go more often than i don't honestly <laughs> Okay. Because it's it's kind of the most exciting part of my day, you know. Is your like, principal I'm... listening? Is that what's going on right now? No, no, I mean, no. But being with the kids is super cool. Like yeah. I, I've I never understood even at the middle and high school level where sometimes you mm -hmm. honestly really just need a break from sarcasm. Like, um, but I never understood not like just being so resistant to like doing lunch duty once a week. Like, yeah. I, I know my union buddies are going to cancel me right now, but it's like. I do like to kick it with the kids in the cafeteria. We used to have domino tournaments. Like we were having soccer tournaments. Mm. It, was, it was fun. And I imagine with the young ones that you work with, um, even more fun. Yeah, I play I play at recess every single day. My wife told me about this study once with um, women who were working in, uh, they were like room service, or not room service, I apologize. They were they were cleaning up the rooms and hotels. It's it's the end of the day on Thursday. I cannot remember the name for that. What what's that job called? Where the the uh, uh, anyways housekeeping. Housekeeping. Thank you so housekeeping. much. There, there are these two groups scary who are working in housekeeping, and yeah. one group in this in this study they they were just doing their job, and this yeah. other group they were told that by doing their job they were exercising, that this was like physical fitness for them. And then they looked at the health outcomes for these two different groups and the ones who were told that this was good for their health, that they were exercising by doing their job as housekeepers actually had better health outcomes. Their, their uh, blood pressure went down, their, their cardiovascular uh, wow. rates went up, they, they, they lost weight, they were in better shape. And so that's what I try to look at recess as, not a time where I have to go out and be on duty. It's a time yeah. where I, as an adult, get to go out and play. I get a little bit of cardio. I play basketball yep. or soccer yep. most days. I love playing tag. I love yeah. uh, the floor's lava tag uh, where <laughs> yes. you can't touch the ground because a lot of these kids don't have a ton of upper body strength. And so no, they can't right. catch you if you're like in the middle of the, the, the monkey bars. So right. they, they try to swing out to you and like, I can't make it. Exactly. Too much time on the phone. Let's go. That's right. Exactly. You got to work on that upper body strength. Yeah. No, I, I really like that. That like, and there, there were actually times where I was like, okay, I can either just sit here during my lunch or I can take a quick walk and close my yeah. rings and like exactly. that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think in a very real way that's, and I, and I love the thought of like, what if more teachers just thought of recess as being recess for all of us. And so yeah. I'm not just out here watching the kids and making sure they don't, you know, do anything mean or unsafe or dangerous. I'm also out here, like getting the benefits that they're getting. I love yeah, that. Exactly, man. I'm getting paid cool. to play. And when you play with the kids that you know are typically going to make your life harder uh, because they come in and they've got too much energy, you get the chance to run them around, wear them yeah. out a little bit. And yeah. if kids get into trouble while they're out at recess, 
it's hard to get in trouble when you're playing with teacher, you know? This is and, true. And this it is true. relationships. I'm all about it. It's a yes. beautiful thing. I'm, um, that's, yeah, absolutely. I feel, I feel like this is a really good segue into the first question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so one of the things, and so John, you and I have known each other almost two years now, mm -hmm. uh, in person. I think we met in person for the first time at space camp, yeah. um, yeah. in, uh, Huntsville, Alabama, which is lovely at the end of July. Let me tell you, it is, uh, not <laughs> humid or uncomfortable at mm -hmm. all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was, I, I was a little juicy those days. Mm -hmm. It was a little mm -hmm. crazy. Um, but one of the things that I think really came clear to me, because you just don't get a good sense of people on Zoom sometimes, right? And that sure. we did all of our induction on Zoom. Um, that inner child is alive and kicking in you. Yes, and so this question may, I don't know, maybe you don't have to think that deeply about it, but you know, tell, tell me about like Lil John, not the rapper, mm -hmm. um, but, <laughs> but you, Lil Sunshine. And by the way, okay, so I've called you Sunshine a couple of times on this show. Um, so those of you who listen to the podcast, but don't know John, um, and if you don't know John, go back and listen to our episode. He, uh, subbed for Kevin when we interviewed, uh, 2022 Hawaii teacher of the year, Whitney Aragaki, uh, national finalist that year. And you get a, get a perspective on John there, but John, John, your energy is just like Ronnie Bass from the remember the Titans movie. Like he's just, he's wired a little bit differently. He's mm -hmm. super chill, super loving, super pleasant. Like, dude doesn't get mad, um, but knows his stuff and talented as all get out. So I started mm. calling John Sunshine. Uh, I was laughing with you the other day about how sometimes I can't find your name in my phone because I'm looking for John <laughs> and it's literally in there. It's Sunshine. Um, but so, so tell me, tell me about the the uh, give me a portrait of the artist educator as a young man. You got it. And uh, I'll tell you, you are way too kind to me, brother. Like I. <laughs> I have I have rough days. I was I'm not that kind of a person. You should here. ask people. I'm, I'm not like a super nice person. So, <laughs> you know, I just want to put that in perspective. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. No, I uh, I am John Arthur. And when I was a child, I was very shy. My my father was in the military. My mother was a, a Korean shopkeeper in a small village called Tokori by the demilitarized zone in, in South Korea. My yeah. father was a soldier stationed there. They, they met, they fell in love and came here. And my childhood, I, I spent bouncing around from one army base to the next. And as I yeah. did that, I had a hard time opening up, making friends. And so for a long time, mm. I just, I just kind of kept to myself. I, I had friends. I was, yeah. you know, I was, I wasn't like antisocial, but as I, as I grew up, I started to open up a little bit more. We stayed here in Utah, moved when I was eight. This okay. became home. And once it became home, I was able to start opening up to people. And I was okay. always a pretty good student in school. But yeah. when I got to my junior year of high school, my grandmother, who had lived with us and was suffering from Alzheimer's, passed away. And while my family took her back home to Virginia to, to bury her, I, I told them I can't go. I can't go to my grandmother's funeral. I was I was too messed up over it, honestly. Yeah. But I just told him I have yeah. to stay here and go to school. And yeah. so I I continued to go to class. And while my parents and my sister were gone burying my grandmother, my house got broken into two nights in a row by the oh, same shoot. guy. And we tussled. There's a there's a For real? Report about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Wow. I, you know, 
I, uh, I, I was already emotionally upset because my grandmother yeah. had passed, and now there's this person trying to come into my home. And I should have left after the first night, but I, I thought there's no way he would ever come back. And he came back the next night. And, and so we, you know, I had this, this horrible experience and it made me question the purpose of life. I had this existential crisis when I was 16 yeah. years old okay. and I, I, I looked at myself, I said, I, I'm not burying my grandmother because I had to go to class. What's wrong with me? And so like most teenagers, I, I overreacted and went the other way. I, I stopped going to class entirely. I, I got yeah. straight F's my third trimester of, of high school or junior year I, I barely graduated high school and wow. for years and you had always I, been a pretty good student i've always right? been a pretty good student yeah absolutely i was i was in ap courses i was i had great report cards but i i lost my sense of purpose and motivation and i stayed that way until my mid-20s i, I had fun i i i was I, I was never at risk of of really hurting myself or anything like that but i i just didn't have any purpose in my life and when I was about 25, 26, I was reading. I love to read. I'm an avid reader. Yeah. And I, I read this quote by Frederick Douglass, who said, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And I realized in that moment, I, I had to read it a couple of times to myself, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Yeah. I realized I was a broken man. And... For some reason, it just clicked that I wanted to dedicate the rest of my life to building strong children. So I went back to college. I finished my my bachelor's degree in English and a minor in history. And then yeah. I went to grad school to get my master of arts in teaching. While I was yeah. there, I also got a master's of education in special education because I wanted to be effective for all kids. And wow. from the moment I I found my purpose, I I became this this guy that you lovingly refer to as sunshine. I I became a guy who knew exactly what I was all about in life. Yeah. I, I I was dedicated. I was mission driven, yeah. and and now every day I live the dream. I'm building strong children in a joyful yeah. place with the most beautiful community, and yeah. I I couldn't ask for any more. And now I'm also blessed with a wonderful wife, two little girls who now yeah. are coming to my school as well. And it's like, yeah. Well, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Yeah. <laughs> You're not the first person who said that to me about that. I, I need to think about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, well, thank, thank you for, um, for just the vulnerability and the transparency. I think that there's a bunch of layers to it, right? Like, I mean, the first just being, just being cishet men of color, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like these aren't typically qualities that are celebrated or uplifted in our communities to recognize one's own brokenness and yeah. do something about it. Um, mm -hmm. And on another level, it, it's just so, this is why I love doing podcasting just in general and, and hearing people's stories, because I think it's easy to pigeonhole people into you know, oh, that's John. He's always happy, always in a good mood and always kind and always patient and always spiritually level, which is probably true. Um, but it, but it's like, there's a story there mm -hmm. and there's, there's things that you've experienced there. Yeah. Um, and, and I love the idea that, that, you know, I think it's hard to find answers to the why did you go into teaching question 
that we haven't heard a thousand times before, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you saying that it was really like, well, if it's if it's harder to fix broken men, then why mm -hmm. don't we mm -hmm. why don't we help build children up um, into the exactly. strongest versions of themselves? Um, mm -hmm. You know, you talked a little bit about the joy that you experience with your students what's one way that in mr arthur's a captain's classroom right, right. um <laughs> what's one way that you intentionally work to build strong people well you just referenced my my nickname here captain um I'll tell you, it has nothing to do with Dead Poet Society. That's, Dang it! I was what, hoping it would. Oh, Captain, all, my Captain. Like everybody, our generation. <laughs> Did you know that was thinks. that was the first that that movie actually was mm -hmm. the first thing that made me think that maybe teaching was a thing I could do. You it's, know. You know what? That's why I was, I was I was studying English in in my undergrad program at the University of Utah. A lot of it yeah. because of that movie. Because I I loved I love the written word. I love poetry. And when I decided I want to be a teacher, I thought, man, I want to be like, you know, Robin Williams, like Mr. And, and Keating. Be like Mr. Exactly. Keating. I want, I yeah. want kids standing on my on their desks, you know. <laughs> as you get fired from your so job. So angry as I was getting fired and kicked out of the building, right? That's the dream right there. <laughs> That's the dream right there. And so I, I thought that that was the direction I was going to go, but then I, I subbed before I began my grad program, yeah. uh, and. I did not like. I don't know how you secondary teachers do it, but like middle school, high school, and all seven, <laughs> that was not my spot. My sweet spot was sixth grade, fifth grade, upper elementary because okay. you could spend all day with them. It's like the big littles, the just, big littles, yeah, big littles, and they're they're at the fork in the road. They're at that moment in life where they're not deciding who they're going to be because that's that's too big. They're just they're just trying to figure out who they are. And yeah, I I was drawn to that immediately. And during my second year of teaching. I, I had this group of girls who came up and they said, Mr. Arthur, we want nicknames. Can we have nicknames in this class? I had <laughs> never considered it before. I said, well, what are you thinking? And they're like, well, we, we love this show called Attack on Titan. And it's this okay. Japanese manga. And yeah, uh, yeah, I'd never yeah. seen that. I, I had no idea what they were talking about. It's classic. Said, yeah, we're gonna, yeah. We're going to call her Annie. And we're going to call her Ackerman and her Sasha. And we want to call you Captain. And I said, why? And they said, well, there's this character named Captain Levi on the show. And uh, and we want to name you after him. And I I took a leap of faith that I, I in hindsight, probably shouldn't. Because for all I knew, this guy was like, a, could have been a psychopath. He could have been a murderer. Could have been insane. But I said, okay, yeah, call me Captain. And once they had nicknames and started calling me Captain, the other kids were like, why are we calling you Captain? And the girls explained. They said, well, we want nicknames too. And of in course. my second class, I ended up with a kid named Beef, Shadow, Boss, Crispy, a lot of food ones, Jerky. Yeah. And, uh, and so the, these, the these were outside of Attack on Titan nicknames. These nicknames were outside of Attack on point. Titan nicknames, exactly. Gotcha. It was only, like, it was <laughs> only last year that I finally watched Attack on Titan because season one's on Netflix now, <laughs> and yeah, sure. it's the most violent, gory no, it's wild. Attack on Titan it's is wild. It's so wild. But the, yeah. the captain character is cool. I like him. He's yeah, dope. he's super cool. Uh, but I'm really happy that I know that because, you know, my, my daughter has indoctrinated me into um, into anime and into, oh you know, gosh. those things. And it is so good. Anime is yeah, phenomenal. Good. And it's this cross-cutting cultural piece. All yeah. my students, whether they're African, Southeast Asian, Latin, 
Latino, Latinx, uh, Caucasian, Pacific mm-hmm. Islander. They all, they all love anime. They're all yeah. into it. And my my third class, when they when they showed up at the start of the year, I thought I was done with these nicknames. You know, <laughs> I, I I thought that was it. And I had a, a young man walk into my classroom. He was the first student to show up on the first day of school, and he walked in and said, "Hey, Mr. Arthur, I already know what my nickname's going to be." I said, what, what's it going to be? <laughs> he said, I want everyone to call me Sprinkles. And all I right. was like, all right, okay, Sprinkles. And and here in Utah at that time, we had this law in place. that The nickname was the No Promo Homo Law. You couldn't talk ah. about anything LGBTQ related. You couldn't use the words gay or queer in your classroom. Wow. And when they came up, if students asked you, you had to say, I, I don't talk about that. I ain't got nothing to do with that. And... This kid wow. walks in and says, I want to be called Sprinkles. And he he was signaling to me very clearly that he was uh, he was identifying in that community and he wanted to choose yeah. a name to represent himself in our classroom yeah. community that would be reflective of that. Yeah. And I I immediately in that moment had this epiphany. I said, This this nickname thing that just happened organically on its own is now like the best thing about my class. And now and kids now are it's, coming in there. It's, it's an institution their own identity now. in there. Yeah. That's that's so deep, man, because mm-hmm. um as as you kind of describe this, it reminds me of um a piece that I read in my grad program. Um mm-hmm. so I took a class on qualitative research uh, methodologies and this book that we read cover to cover, y'all need to pick it up. It's expensive, but pick it up anyway. It's called Humanizing Research. It's edited edited by the great Django Paris and Maisha Wynn. And there's a chapter written by David uh, Kirkland who explores um, literacies among eighth grade black boys. Mm-hmm. And he's a black male scholar himself. And and he's looking at, at hip hop as a cultural. So like, as, as you're talking, I feel this mm-hmm. hip hop undercurrent because mm-hmm. we look at, um, and you'll see audience where this segue lives in my brain. Um, so when I think about hip hop, right, mm-hmm. I think about Wu-Tang. I mm-hmm. think about Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, right? Mm-hmm. I think about Verbal Fists of Fury, like these kinds of things. And one thing that black and brown communities have always resonated with is uh, martial arts culture. And mm-hmm. this kind of, you know, again, cuts across cultural difference. And, um, you know, Bruce Lee, everybody knew, knew who Bruce Lee was. And so... So what this kind of comes circular back to, so he's doing this research study with these four black boys and he just calls the guys. And they're sort of talking about how their raps are not just expressions of their lives as they are, but are their lives as if lived in a parallel way, their multiverse of lives. And, you know, at one point, the boys are going back and forth about some some verses that one of them wrote. And one of them said, man, you can't say what you wrote. That's not even the truth. And another boy Mm -hmm. says, yeah, but I'm bigger than the truth. (laughs) I was like, that's incredible. But, you know, writing identities, creating identities Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. creating a way. And it sounds like what this is. The reason this is an institution Mm -hmm. in your classroom is Mm -hmm. that kids get to write their identities every day, Exactly. every yeah. day. 
That's beautiful. They get, they get to write their identities and they are part of a, a, a broader identity. My classroom has a big old sign on the wall that says Ninth Evermore. And people love yeah, to well, ask me, are, are you going to ask me? No, go ahead. I, I was oh, going to yeah. I was going to ask you well, about I was that. Say, yeah. People love to ask what what is Ninth Evermore? And I my answer is I, I can't tell you. My answer is in our classrooms, we teachers and our students, we get to co-create the worlds we want to live in. Better worlds where the way that people talk to each other, the way that we embrace yeah. each other, the way that we lift each other up is yeah. is more where it should be, especially when compared to the real world, quote unquote, out there. Wow. We get to we get to make these it's magical like places together. It's like a exactly, it's a refuge. And I can't tell you exactly why ours is called the Ninth Evermore. There's there's a story there that belongs to every student that comes through my class. But my students in here know that they are the tenth class of the Ninth Evermore. And in here, they don't have just names; they got handles. They, you know, as I look out, I see the desk, the empty desks of Jazzy and. and Alistair and Smiles and Monarch and Monochrome and like just these these amazing not just you know students but but content creators of these these young people who are not just trying to see how much they can consume in a year but how much they can create and they're yeah. they are connected to every student that I've had in my classroom back to my first year and the beautiful thing is they you know they I've I've taught all 10 years of my career uh, here at Metal Arc Elementary. I started out in yeah. fifth grade for three years. I looped up to sixth grade with one class. And now I've had everybody's brother, their sister, their cousin. This is this is my community. I've, I've put these deep roots in. And my kids come back and they'll say, hey, what's what's the Ninth Evermore up to now? Like, what are they creating? Well, oh, you guys are making wow. another music. Oh, you're making podcasts. That's dope. And and they, they come back to support they come back to mentor they'll just come back and like tutor kids every once in a while just randomly i have wow. a couple of kids who would come in after school just to clean the room so it was wow. nicer for the students this year yeah. um when you when you let kids be their best selves in a space they become so connected to it that it comes to represent something so much more than just their classroom and we all yeah. have the opportunity to do that yeah that, that's really profound. I'm, I'm so glad you shared that because I think like every classroom is its own universe, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what you're what you're explaining is really beautiful. I, I think that them, this might be a, a good segue into yeah. kind of the next thing. So we talk, you know, and just transparency for all of my um, guests, I think one of the things that we are trying to do here at Tudo Productions is to really be in tune with the moment and to really try to uplift voices at the time that they're most likely to be heard. And so we are attempting to amplify diverse Asian Americans, Native Hawaiian, South Asian Pacific Islander voices of teachers who are, um, who are out here doing this work, showing up as, as their um, authentic selves, because, you know, you, you referenced Utah's version of the uh, the no promo homo, the don't say gay mm -hmm. uh, policy and legislation, which we're seeing in other states as well, where we are actively discouraging teachers and children from being themselves publicly. Mm -hmm. And so we we really want to shine a spotlight on the fact that John Arthur is not just a teacher and he is not just a teacher of the year 
that he is a human being of Asian American descent. Mm -hmm. And I think we want to, you know, we want to really highlight that. So thing I want to have you share a little bit of is racialized experiences. This is something that we hear a lot from people from marginalized and minoritized communities, people of color. Um, what kind of racialized experiences have have you had, um, whether it's in your childhood, whether it's as a professional, as an adult, and how do those impact the way you do this work? Mm. Well, in my childhood, I was very proud to be Korean. I was proud that my mother was Korean. I, 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 I took on that identity in a very strong way until I went to Korea for an extended amount of time. Now I went to school there in the summer. We went on this vacation in July and we landed and we we're hanging out with my cousins. And my mom said, you're going to school. I said, it's July. No one goes to school. She said, we do here <laughs> in Korea. You're like, this what? is terrible. You're like, I hate yeah. Korean. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, what on earth? But I was like, okay, cool. I'll get to go hang out with kids. And I went and I had this very strange experience where I didn't realize going into it that anybody would have an issue with with a, a biracial child. Going yeah. into a Korean school as a half white, half Korean young man, I I had no idea that anybody would have a problem with me. I didn't understand this history of of animosity in Korea towards children who were born of American GIs who yeah. had either uh, fallen in love or without consent fathered children with with local women and so when i went there i started learning these words that i didn't know and i go back home and and tell my mom and she's like oh don't 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 listen that and i'd I'd ask a friend or a cousin they say oh that means like mud blood like 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 oh i like in dirty dirty blood that's right oh no and half breed was always my one of my favorites that i got yeah half breed exactly man and i know that you know, this is something that connects us no matter what biracial identity you have. There's always this like split between two worlds. And and that experience made me ashamed a bit of my mm-hmm. Korean side. Never like, yeah. I never completely wrote it off, wrote it off, but I, I definitely didn't identify myself as Korean American to people. I just say, yeah, yeah. I'm John. Until uh, that, that continued on into middle school. And when I was in middle school, I got I, I had an experience that, that sent hate the other way where I was coming out of gym class and these boys, they were just looking for a, not, I'm sorry, not gym class, geography class. And oh, wow. these boys were looking for a reason to just, just mess with me. They were just trying to make me angry because uh, they wanted to start a fight. And I think I may have told you the story before they started calling me chinky. They're like, Hey mm, chink, man, yeah. let's, let's see, let's see what you got chink. And yeah. I was like, man, what, I'm Korean. Like, first of all, we're you're talking not even about geography class. Like, you don't even know. First of all, we're literally <laughs> talking about countries and where they are. Yeah. Second of like, all, wrong yeah. epithet. Yeah. Wrong what, epithet. Like, come on, just bring the right hate if you're going to do this. Like, like let's just be accurate right. with. Yeah, let's just be ra- accurate with it. So, I, you know, I tried to walk away. They just kept pushing. They kept pushing. They said, "Come on, man, let's see. I, I know you know karate. I know you know karate. Let's see that kung fu. Let's go. I know you wow. do." And I was like, man, we don't all know karate. This is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Problem is, I do know karate. I know Taekwondo. I've been training <laughs> I since say, I was three years old. I, I was gonna say, my, I was like, my father, uh-oh. my father started uh-oh. teaching me when I was when I was like young. But in that fight, I I did not do anything 
that I could have done. I, yeah. I had this conversation later on with, with a friend and like, well, how come you didn't like throw any kicks? How come you didn't fight back in like the way that you, you could? Yeah. And I got, I got busted up. My, my nose was bleeding. I was, I was in kind of yeah. bad shape. And, uh, and I said that I would rather take a beating than prove them right. I, I just boxed with them because I didn't want to didn't want to uh, confirm their their stereotyping of me, yeah. even though it was true. Even though in Korea, Taekwondo is like the the national pastime. It's like baseball. Yeah. When I went to school there, we did it in gym class. Like it's just yep. part of the deal. Yeah. I still didn't want these guys to think that they had me and anybody from my community pegged. I didn't want them to think that their ignorance was was going to be verified or confirmed yeah. by our by our fight. So I, I I held back. I held back this beautiful part of my culture, I, this yeah. beautiful part of my own personal history, and right. and I, I took a bloody nose, uh, just just for the sake of, of proving them wrong. Yeah, and that's why. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. I think um, it's it's so interesting because I think, yeah, you were a much stronger person than I would have been at that time. <laughs> it was, but it I, was, I I was proud of myself. Yeah. I, I don't know if I was right. I don't know if, if I did the right thing, but I, I, I left that feeling just fine about it. So I, I'd take well, it like hate not, as a kid. One way no, or the other, I'm not your stereotype, right? Yeah, one exactly. way or the other, I'm not your stereotype. Yeah. And yeah. even if playing into it may convince you that I'm tougher than you think I am, yeah. it's still playing into – you're still dictating the terms of my existence. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, there's. I, I mean, that. there's so many examples of, of – powerful ancestors who who took physical punishment as an act yeah. of defiance and that was yeah. as close as i've come to to even you know touching on yeah. on that in any way in my life but yeah so i i had a complicated uh relationship with my own racial identity i felt sure. hate from the korean side i felt hate from the white yeah. side and uh it wasn't until i was in my 20s that i started to embrace my my korean identity yeah. and um really just just I, I had so many amazing Asian friends here in Utah, and mm -hmm. we, we just hung out all the time. And, and um, they they helped they helped me find pride in in who I was and where I came from and the people yeah. who informed uh, my background. And I, I I'm forever grateful to the friends yeah. who who helped me find Asian pride in my yeah. life. That's mm -hmm. awesome. As an adult, have you experienced any of the kind of discrimination? We know that looking at data from the Southern Poverty Law Center and some of the mm -hmm. other uh, human and civil rights organizations that over the last, you know, three, four years, there's been mm -hmm. an uptick in anti-Asian hate crimes and hate violence. Yeah. I see you got the, the sticker up um, behind you. Um, mm -hmm. how, how impacted have you felt by some of the anti-Asian hate that's out there. So one of the privileges of being biracial is that oftentimes when it comes to, to hate, Asian hate in particular, I'm not the ideal target. You know, mm. I, I, uh, I have watched, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know if you ever, <laughs> I don't know if you ever saw the movie Highlander. This is like a super like off the off the yeah top the, reference, the, but... the one with Christopher Lambert yeah exactly yeah, yeah, there's yeah. this part early in the movie where he's in this battle and mm -hmm. 
he's there with his clan and he doesn't realize why people are avoiding him but he just keeps like swinging and screaming at people come fight me come fight me but they're all just avoiding him hmm. and that's how i've often felt in yeah. situations where i've wanted to say hey man if you got a problem come talk to me about it don't don't yeah. don't attack older women don't attack yeah. our children Sure. Come talk to me, but but then people don't, and then I get frustrated about the fact that uh, they don't engage in the way that I want to. Not that I'm looking for conflict. I'm looking for right. conversation and ideally yeah. in some beautiful world resolution. But as an as an educator, I've seen this in a couple of ways, and also as a son of a of a Korean mother. You know, the first time that we actually recorded anything together, it was it was here on the podcast, and it was around that Asian hate. Yeah, and. And it, it would not be, uh, it, like, I can't help but note the fact that now we're talking on the show and we just had the, the shooting in Texas where half yeah. of the victims were Asians. Yep. And, and it just, I, I hate the, the idea. I'm going to have to come back again sometime when yeah. there is not some tragic violence against the Asian community on the yeah. news because... May, the problem is it's just it's happening frequently enough where that might be difficult and that's a, yeah. that's one of the tragic things about the situation we're living in yeah. but as a no, teacher absolutely. and as just a as a man when my mother my mother got sick with with cancer and i traveled out there i, I avoided going out there during covid as much as i could because yeah. i didn't want to take the chance of catching it and giving it to her uh in washington dc where she lived but finally i made the trip out there and i i was with my mother walking around the 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 pool there at the national monument during the the cherry blossoms and and in the news older asian women had been attacked violently and in that moment walking with my mother i should have been focused on just loving her and the fact that she was ill and who knew how many more opportunities we would have to be together but instead, I was scanning the crowd, looking for wow. any threats, anybody yep. looking at my mom the wrong way. And yep. and my dad, he and I had been having a conversation about what we needed to see more of in, in our schools to combat Asian hate. And I said, we need to see more of the accomplishments and contributions of Asian Americans celebrated in our schools because yep. it's hard to hate something when you understand it and you appreciate it. And he said, well... What are you talking about? Like, what contributions? I, I said, well, Dad, look around. <laughs> we are literally walking amongst these cherry blossoms. And I would actually done a little report on this this man named, uh, I'm, I might brutalize his name, but Takamini Jokichi, who okay. was this Japanese-American a uh, long time ago, and he had worked out a deal with the mayor of Tokyo to bring these cherry blossoms to Washington, D.C., so we yep. were literally walking around this beautiful place in the legacy contribution of this Japanese American. And that same Japanese American was the scientist who first isolated the, the hormone uh, adrenaline and, ah. and, and was able to use it as a medicine that we now call yeah. epinephrine. And my daughter yep. has a severe tree nut allergy. And so I keep an EpiPen in my backpack at all times and and i i had to look at my dad and say dad not only were we in this beautiful monument created by this by this man but if your granddaughter ever got horribly ill she will be saved by the contribution of this incredible asian american 
So the fact that we don't learn about that in our schools is exactly the problem. We need to think more about that because those contributions are there. We just don't see them and acknowledge them enough. Yeah, that's that's so incredible because like what a way to just bring it home with an answer to the question. And I think like it it turns into a circular conversation with some folks, right? It turns into, Mm -hmm. well, what have they contributed? Well, I don't know because it was outlawed to learn about them. And so it turns into this vicious cycle of where contributions aren't seen because they're not taught and they're not shared. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so I mean, and that's interesting, you know, I think that's one way that um, it's it's a complexity, right, of being Mm -hmm. multi-ethnic and um, coming from different nationalities, as a lot of you know, um, I have a white mother. Hi, mom. My mom listens to the podcast. Um, and although maybe she doesn't listen this far in, you know, she's like, your shows are long, um, you know, and, and a Mexican father. And, you know, for so many years, it was kind of like, well, I, I don't really belong in either world fully. Yeah. And I don't feel more at home in one than the other. I mean, when, when I'm in Mexico, more people can say my name and, and that makes mm-hmm. me pretty happy. But mm-hmm. I think... You know, other than that, but Gloria Ansaldúa, who wrote uh, Borderlands, the La Frontera, um, argues that particularly with Chicanos, a lot of us, a lot of us live in um, in a borderlands. Like, so we we actually have this third nation in between the two nations mm-hmm. that made us, mm-hmm. and that it's at borderlands that a lot of us really do inhabit. And so that's kind of what I think of. Um, so like, if you don't mind, yeah, I just, I feel like one thing that I appreciate about you and that I've, I've, I've thought about this just in terms of us and our identities as educators, but, but those of us who live in these borderlands, I, I don't know. I don't know if it gives us an advantage when working with children who are themselves in a borderland between, you know, birth and adulthood, kids yeah. who are trying to figure out who they are. But yeah. that, that, that state of flux that we often find ourselves in, yeah. even as adults, I feel like gives us some extra insight into yeah. children, especially those who struggle, man. I, I don't know if yeah. I'd call it a superpower, but I feel like it definitely contributes to um, well, it's, our it's like what we make it, right? Yeah. Like it's what we make it. Like I've seen people who have the insights to really connect mm-hmm. with kids Mm-hmm. And, and they don't use it in that way. And that, that could be a consequence of socialization. It could be the environment that you're working in or that you learned in. Like, I think that it can be. Um, I think it's also that liminal space where mm. if you look into this liminal space, you're, you're either going to see emptiness or possibility, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They look the same, <laughs> right? Um, that uncertainty, that ambiguity, but... And I, and I think often they, they feel the same. I think, I think the yeah. disconnect that you describe towards your Korean community, mm-hmm. you know, is kind of something that I've struggled with a lot with my Mexican community. And mm-hmm. I, I've had to sort of say that, well, I'm a part of the community because I'm literally a Mexican. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not a pure Mexican, but given mm-hmm. the legacies of imperialism and colonialism, is there such a thing even? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah no, I, th- I think that's right. And I think that's such an interesting thing to think about, about how we develop. And, you know, folks, you remember our episode with Dr. Erica Glover, and she talks about really amplifying and uplifting student voice and creating safe spaces for students really is about your own 
social intelligence and your own emotional intelligence. So if you have the emotional intelligence to be like, yo, I'm a little bit of a shapeshifter, right? I'm a little bit of an invisible man that can travel between these worlds. Um, that takes a certain level of emotional intelligence to make it a gift, but it's not easy. Like, that's the thing. It's not an easy mm -hmm. thing. Oh, that's deep. Um, we've got just a few minutes, but I want to run through a couple of quick things. Um, yeah. So obviously we can't talk about John Arthur Sunshine without talking about your trajectory over the last couple of years. Like, so it's a, so you've been doing great work for a long time. Like so many people in our cohort mm -hmm. of state teachers of the year. I mean, it's, it's, it's years of impactful, profound work that that's been happening. Um, but you know, you had a moment, you became Utah teacher of the year, then mm -hmm. you were announced as a national finalist and you got to yeah. hang out with this cool crew of, uh, of finalists, uh, shout out Maureen, shout yeah. out Alejandro, my guy, shout mm -hmm. out Juliana, our mm -hmm. uh, National Alex. Teacher of the Year. Y'all were just right. such a vibe. And then following that, you know, you definitely became more visible um, to those of us outside of your community mm -hmm. for your advocacy and your activism and your mm -hmm. engagement with um, issues both in education as well as with um, just civil rights issues in general. What's that last couple of years been like for you? It's been such a gift. You know, we as, as educators who are informed and who are now also connected in this cohort nationally, we have the opportunity to see behind the curtain a lot of times. We, we recognize the problems and we also recognize ways that we can, we, we know what it should look like and we know how we can impact that. And, and so I've really tried to take this opportunity to make things better for the students in Utah, my fellow educators, and I've really latched on to, to any cause that empowers students and teachers. And whether that's students who have been uh, marginalized for their their uh, racial identity, for being in the LGBTQ community, for for educators who have been bullied because of the work that they do to support and uplift these children. Um, I've tried to show up because how how rare is it that a teacher gets a spotlight shined upon them, and that spotlight only lasts for so long. So you have to use it to to spread light. As, yeah. as far as you can to as many people as you can. And yeah. I've, I've really taken that responsibility to heart. I've watched so many of my friends use it so effectively, and I'm just trying to do my best to do the same. There are, there are you know, for example, you, you can't see it right now, but I have these pens in my pocket. And, and going back to the, the no promo homo days, I, I was told my first year of teaching I couldn't have a rainbow flag up in my classroom. And I am, I am a just male cisgender straight guy but I, I very much view myself as an ally and I take that responsibility very seriously and my first year of teaching I had a student who was queer and I wanted to show him in my classroom that he was safe and that I, I loved and supported him and my my principal told me don't don't do it you're a first year teacher you'll be fired you know don't say the words don't put up any symbols I said well what what can I do 
And so I started one day just wearing pens in my pocket and I just, I just switched it up. I have, I have all these different colors and it's a little rainbow flag that I wear in my pocket and nobody can tell me what That's pens. amazing. It's wear like in my pockets pens. Why are you tripping? Yeah, exactly. I just got pens. I got a lot of grading to do. Yeah. Like just, yeah. just chill. And but my students saw I read my papers exactly 12 times. Exactly. Everybody knew what it was, but, yeah. but no one could say a thing about it. Now yeah. I have a spotlight and a platform that I don't have to like be a subversive. I can just come out and say exactly what is right and just. And, yeah. you know, I have two things I'm all about. I'm about like humanizing and empowerment. And yeah. we talked a lot about humanizing yeah, uh, we did. in our cohort. You, yeah, you taught did. me a lot about it. And, and that's all I want to do. All I want to do is yeah. humanize the, the incredible people who make up a school community. And I want to empower student and teacher voices. That's it. And, and I'm going to ride yeah. the spotlight as long as I can, man. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. And I think that's in, in the fact that, you know, I think I'm not going to judge anybody's like path through this teacher mm-hmm. of the year experience, but I know that um, there are some who view being named the state teacher of the year as a, as a finish line. Mm-hmm. And the year um, that follows is, is your ticker, ticker tape parades. And that's fine. Like mm-hmm. I get it. Like, yeah. and I know that different States frame it differently. Yeah. Um, but one thing I admire about you and one thing I've tried to emulate with you is the, is the idea that this is a starting line. Like, mm-hmm. okay, now, mm-hmm. now I have visibility. There are people who know my work and who look to me to represent, mm-hmm. in my case, the 66,000 teachers in the state of Colorado for, mm-hmm. for that year of service. What am I going to do for our communities as the first Chicano identifying Colorado State Teacher of the Year? What am I going to mm-hmm. do to ensure that the people that I serve um, are are seen and celebrated and and i think Mm -hmm. that's something that those of you if you don't follow john on social media you need to because this is i've never seen somebody be able to show this impact in such an earnest way like i'm just out here doing the work but look at look at what's happening in community it's so cool um, to see yeah so i'm gonna get you out of here um, cause, cause you've got things you need to do for your partner. Um, but before you go, <laughs> you know, what's coming. Yes, sir. It's the most important part of this. Like all the other questions. Yeah. Stereotypes, racism, trauma, whatever, like that, mm-hmm. that's, that's okay. That's, that's a thing. Um, that's but the, the big thing, yeah, that's the easy stuff. The hard stuff, oh my, my friend is I'm looking for a pen. <laughs> the hard stuff is top five rappers or other performing artists you listen to we love hip-hop over Mm -hmm. here we love the hip-hop nation um Mm -hmm. we also know that when we're looking at globalizing this work that there's other music that resonates with people john sunshine arthur do you have your top five ready i do man i i had to think long and hard about this and uh, you did and I, I didn't I, I had to frame it some way in my own mind. I don't want to overhype, okay. but I yep. I'm like you. We both write. We're both writers. Yep. We like to we like to work out our own thoughts on on yeah. paper with a pencil. Yeah. And I I I as a writer have been informed by by hip hop artists over time at different chapters of my life. So my yeah. top five is not right. the top five, not my top favorites. It's the ones that informed me. And, and when I write, when I go on social media or anything else, 
these are the the artists who flavor that up. I love so, it. All right. So the, the and first, is it a ranking? Is it a hierarchy, or is it, it just is, the five? It's, it might be chronological, actually. Ooh, I think, chronological. I think it's chronological based on like where I was in my development as a as a writer or as a voice. Okay. And, and when they came in to 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 influence that. So early on, yeah. my my earliest like hip hop influence that I could that I can really pinpoint would be Lupe Fiasco. Oh man, you know Lupe doesn't show up enough on our list. Yeah, mm. say speak on that. Well, just just as a lyricist and as a storyteller and somebody who would drop just insanely deep insights into yeah. the catchiest beats. Yeah, I, 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 he was the first musical artist where I, I was reading the lyrics on paper. Yeah, to make sure that I was fully picking up everything because it was just, it was just so. He, Lupe will, te- Lupe will tear your heart out with things mm-hmm. like you think about put you on game. Mm-hmm. You think about little weapon. You think about mm-hmm. kick push. Like yep. it's all got these yeah. other layers, and he, and he's also so sly. Like yeah. there's things that he's putting out there that you're kind of like, is this you or is this kind of satire? All right, mm-hmm. exactly. So and you got Lupe as your earliest. You, you don't have to like think too deep. It's just so clear. It's yeah. just, a, just, a, just a shot to the heart. Um, yeah. At the same time, I, and I'm, I'm going to invoke the Eric Hale rule a little bit. Like, <laughs> nice. <laughs> like I'm going to have more than five artists because they, they can't kind of came in tandem. At that same time, right. I, I got into the, the Flowbots, and they're from Colorado. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know Flowbots. I don't know them personally, but one yeah. of them, at least one of them, maybe more than one, actually graduated from the high school that my daughter attends. Oh, so, there yeah. you go. Yeah, well, yeah, they, are, yeah. they are socially conscious rappers and or just musicians in this band and they had the the hit song handlebars yep and just the way that they didn't just hit it on the nose they said like i can do anything i am strong i'm powerful That's right. I'm a human being i'm That's unstoppable right. because we all are i can yeah. ride my bike with no handlebars like that yeah. that line rocked my world so Lupe that song and is came at the same time into my into my writing life into my thinking life yeah what were you saying there all right nothing it's beautiful nothing <laughs> so after that after that i i eventually found most deaf and talib kwali yeah black star movement black star i found them separately and then i then like a couple years later i found out that they did this collab and it just oh made me so <laughs> <Yeah>. happy and that elevated yes. my consciousness as well as my writing and then yeah. i was because I was in the most deaf, I started watching uh, old uh, deaf poetry jam videos. That he yes. Oh man. And and I came across the the one where KRS One, the the renegade poet, teacher, and scholar, yes. got on there with uh, Dougie Fresh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, oh, that was. And that brilliant. opened me up to uh, old school hip hop and just you know yeah. the all the classics. So yeah. that 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 was that that part of my journey. Yep. So th- yep. 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 And then that part of my journey actually led me to to uh biggie and okay and i actually i came into this one part of my life where i i'd found my purpose i was feeling good so on and so forth and i was constantly encouraging kids to to be their best selves and there you know i cannot remember the name of the song and i could i could i can recite the lines but they're they're super inappropriate you would know the track <laughs> but you know yeah. it starts out with when i die I want to go to hell because I'm a it ain't hard to tell. Like every other word is a cuss it word. Ain't hard to I tell. want to share it with my students so bad. 
because it's just so <laughs> right. Like, just like I am the worst and I'm going to say it over and over and over again. And for some <laughs> reason that made me feel really good. Yeah. And just, and I would, I would scream that in my car. And like you said, man, I am, I'm a positive, productive, like That's excited right. about life kind of person, but I am also flawed and I make yeah. all kinds of mistakes every day. And I just, I just love the idea of just laying it down on the tracks and like, yeah. this is why I am the worst and why my mom regrets <laughs> like not having yeah. a portion yeah. and everything. I was like, holy cow. I never yeah. heard anyone talk like that. Yeah. I never no, heard anybody that's say anything so like interesting that. about like Biggie's ability to write identity and to write pain was really mm -hmm. powerful. It makes me think mm -hmm. of actually, this is where I think Jake Cole is such a, such mm -hmm. an inheritor of that tradition. Like Absolutely. one of the things he says is, um, you know, we've been, you know, blanks been playing against the odds, but who am I to criticize how you played your cards, dog? You like, mm -hmm. we, you know, and it's, so it just kind of gets into those things. My, my favorite line from any Biggie song is from, mm -hmm. um, Mo Money, Mo Problems when he uh -huh. says, man, I know they'd rather see me die than to see me fly. You know, right, there's so right, many right. ways to interpret that. It's so right. creative. Yeah, well, no, listen, this yeah. is great. Yeah. No, thank no, you. Go man. Ahead. He, well, he helped me understand what it does mean to, actually humanize a person yeah. to, to see them all the way through and to still appreciate and just celebrate them. So that's something I appreciate about yeah. him. And that's also something I, I appreciate about you. Mm. you, you <laughs> oh, I honestly, let it, I let it be you, out there. You are, you are both <laughs> a, a renegade teacher, poet and scholar, but you're also a, a great, um, you're great at helping others see themselves in new and more interesting ways. Oh, thank you, man. Uh, you know, um, you know, folks like you have so many incredible like layers to you. I'm sitting here like I've known you damn near two years and we have never talked about hip hop. What is up with that? We need to get into that. The writing. We like... space camp a little bit. No, we know? did. We did. We had a party. We didn't have a battle, though. Like, that's the no. thing. That, that would have been cool. But yeah, mm. well, you know, John, Arthur, Sunshine, thank you for bringing this light into my life right now um we're gonna Thank go you. ahead and wrap things up there's a mm -hmm. there's a meeting about to happen and i know i need to clear out but um <laughs> but listen man uh we we absolutely have to do this again and absolutely. as you said not attached to mm -hmm. you know some catastrophe that wasn't the intention but as it turns of out this is this is like the world that we sometimes live in mm. um we need like a we need a round table of radical joy bro that's what we need to do is hey. like just have one because the thing that they really want to take from us it's not our books it's not our classrooms it's not our education they want to take our smiles and like my friend Kamei said to me a year ago when i was really struggling with my departure from the classroom don't let don't ever let them take a smile and that's that's what they want to do they want to take our smiles and they want the most radical thing that we can do is have audacious joy in these moments so for uh, oh yeah also how do people follow you where do people find your work absolutely ninth evermore as i said is the name of my classroom with my students it's our community so if you go on youtube and, and search up the channel ninth evermore you can see my students things brilliant so if you look for me on instagram twitter all the others at ninth evermore that's where my my teacher voice gets used um, so come check it out please yeah got some fire videos out there on instagram too some good stuff you've been advocating a lot for the teacher salary project and just overall dignity for teachers
Hey, what's good, everybody? Hey, are you an educator struggling with time and money? I mean, are we all? <laughs> well, I want you to meet my friend Alex Sierra, a certified financial planner with Cetera Investors, and he's here to help. Specializing in working with educators, Alex understands the challenges we face from low pay to complex retirement systems. His team specializes in holistic financial planning, focusing on your goals and creating actionable plans to improve your chances of success. Visit his website at www.toriandalex.cetarainvestors.com slash tudope, T-O-O-D-O-P-E, to schedule an initial virtual consultation with Alex. Mention the code TUDOPE on your meeting and receive 25% off their subscription-based financial planning packages. You can get more info and a link to their website in the podcast description. Cetera Investors is the marketing name of Cetera Investment Services. Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services, LLC, doing insurance business in California as CFG STC, Insurance Agency, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC, California Insurance License Number 0L05650. Alexander Sierra CFP is located at 605 East Huntington Drive, Suite 203 Monrovia, California 91016, and can be reached at phone number 626-408-1333, extension 306.